So a while back, I did a podcast and a video and a blog post about Alzheimer's, about how to prevent Alzheimer's and potentially treat it and improve it as well in some cases through fasting, through keto, and and through some other lifestyle changes. And this was very heavily focused on the work of Dr. Dale Bredesen, a neurologist who's developed a program that's quite effective at treating Alzheimer's. So today I'm going to revisit the topic of Alzheimer's um, and recap some of what I shared in the previous video, uh, previous episode, but also I'm going to talk about this new medication, new-ish medication, which just received full approval from the FDA. It's called Lecanemab, or Lecembi, but Lecanemab is the generic name. Um, so I'm going to t- in this video, I'm going to share um, the details about that new medication, you know, what are the risks, what are the benefits, according to the research that's been done so far, um, and how does that compare to the results you could get through fasting, keto, lifestyle type approach. Um, and ultimately, whether it's a good idea or not to use this medication and what the alternatives would be. And of course, as always, this isn't individual medical advice or anything, because I don't know all your circumstances, but just some big picture thoughts that you might find interesting. So just in case you didn't know, Alzheimer's is the disease where you lose your memory. It's a type of dementia. It's the most common type of dementia. Dementia is just that bigger umbrella term for all the memory loss type things. But Alzheimer's is the one that most people have heard of. And so Alzheimer's is really common and it's getting more common. I shared some statistics in the previous episode that I'm going to link to um, if you want to take a look at that. But of course, it is a big burden on the patient who loses the quality of life and on the family who now you know has this uh, person who can't remember stuff. Um, they're having to decide how to handle that. And it's a big burden on society, you know, as uh, as kind of our population is getting older on average in some places. Um, and it costs tons of money um, in various ways through medical care and through things the family are having to do, whether they um, are finding like a, you know, a nursing facility or, or whatever um, for that family member. Um, one of my uncles has Alzheimer's, so I'm kind of hearing about all the challenges that are associated with that um, as well. Um, so I kind of see what that's like for the family as they're trying to figure out, well, where do we kind of put this person, so to speak? Um, but how do we still try to stay connected with them and help them have a as good of a quality of life as possible? And then a lot of the health challenges and other challenges that come up as you're dealing with it. So it's really a miserable thing, and it's getting more common, and it is already common. So bottom line, Alzheimer's is a huge burden and really challenging for the people involved. Um, So back in episode 22 of my podcast, and then a a video as well, and a blog post, I shared a lot about Dr. Bredesen's work. Um, So again, Dr. Dale Bredesen, he's a neurologist, um, and he developed a program to treat Alzheimer's, and he's written a few books. Um, The first one was called The End of Alzheimer's, and the next one was called The End of Alzheimer's Program. So it gets a little more practical and hands-on. So um, using his program, which is a combination of mostly nutrition and diet, but also some medical um, you know, tests and treatments when needed. Um, using his program, um, rarely does the condition get worse, so usually able to prevent it from getting worse. Um, and in a fair percentage of cases, there's some Im- noticeable improvement in Alzheimer's symptoms. Um, so that sounds pretty good, right? And by the way, the cornerstone of his program is fasting and keto. Um, it's something he calls KetoFlex 12.3. 
And the 12 means at least 12 hours of fasting overnight. The three means at least three hours of fasting before bedtime. And the keto part means you get into ketosis regularly, either by eating the right foods that stimulate ketones or taking um, a ketone supplement. But there's got to be some ketones because ketones are good for your brain, um, uh, it turns out. So, uh, and then the flex has to do with, it's like kind of flexible in terms of the amount of meat, this or that. But, um, the diet that he prescribes does include a lot of nutrient rich plants and also some healthy protein sources, you know, like fish or meat or whatever. Um, but it's flexible. So that's why he puts the word flex in there. Um, so, so his approach has a huge benefit, but what about this medication? This, again, new-ish medication, lecanemab. So there's a lot of headlines about it because they're kind of saying it's like probably the most effective treatment available or whatever in terms of medications. So what are the risks? What are the benefits? What do we know about it so far? So this treatment, um, uh, so it's the lecanemab. When you have a name like lecanemab, you know that it is an antibody. So there's a bunch of other medications that have kind of similar sounding names. And it means it's an antibody, which means it's kind of like what your immune system uses to attack bacteria and stuff. Um, but it's one that they make and they put it into your body. And then what it does is it kind of attacks the amyloid protein in the brain and tries to get rid of it, basically. Because their their theory is, well, if, if the amyloid protein's causing Alzheimer's and we get rid of the amyloid protein in the brain, then we can improve Alzheimer's. Um, so that's kind of what it does. And then in the study that they, I think the main study that they've shared about it that was related to the full approval. Um, they had about 1,800 people, um, 1,795. And the results that they found were that there was about a 20, after a, after a year and a half, there was about a 27% slowing of the rate of progression of the disease. So in other words, if you have two groups, after a year and a half of, one of them using this medication, those people that were using the medication didn't progress quite as far as the other ones, but they were all still getting worse. So does that sound encouraging? Yes and no. If you're comparing it to doing nothing, sounds kind of encouraging, but if you're comparing it to even Dr. Bredesen's program, it sounds pretty pitiful, to be honest, because all they're doing is like kind of slowing it down a little more than, than they were before. Um, and there's some pretty dramatic side effects with this medication. Um, you know, again, it's attacking these proteins in your brain. So you can imagine there might be some things going on in the brain. And in 12% of the people, 12.6%, there was swelling in the brain known as brain edema. And in 17%, they had little tiny areas of bleeding in the brain. Now, for some reason in the placebo group, there was also some of those micro hemorrhages or little bits of bleeding in about 9%. So it was about double the number of people that had these micro hemorrhages. So I guess the population that they were studying tended to have micro hemorrhages, but it was about twice as much in the people that were using the medication. And then it does have other side effects that are not trivial. Uh, like 20% of the time people have these infusion reactions. So it's really uncomfortable and maybe a rash and all this stuff. And then about 14% of the time they get headaches, but you can imagine why. And then there's also diarrhea and coughs uh, about, you know, but maybe like 5% of the time, just guesstimating based on the data they shared. And then it also causes atrial fibrillation, uh, but somewhere between one and 10% of the time. And that's ironic. So that's an abnormal heart rhythm, right? Atrial fibrillation. That's ironic because 
if you're on, if you have atrial fibrillation or AFib, you often have to take a an anticoagulant medication, blood thinner, um, which makes you more likely to bleed. Which means you probably would need to avoid lecanemab <laughs> um, at that point. So if you see the connection there, so lecanemab costs about twenty six thousand dollars per year. Which, is, whether that's a lot or a little, depends on your perspective. It's not very much compared to, say, cancer drugs, but it's a lot compared to like most medications that people use, like for high blood pressure or something. So, uh, and one other thing about the stats that they shared is, you know, you know how there was that twenty-seven percent slowing of the disease in the treatment group. Um, they noted they noted that the am, the levels of amyloid protein in their brain were brought down to the normal range, um, but the symptoms didn't go completely go away. So one thing that that kind of proves <laughs> is that amyloid is not necessarily what's causing Alzheimer's. It might just be kind of a downstream effect of what's really causing it. Um, so the question is, kind of the big question is, do the benefits of this medication outweigh the risks? And that's a good question. I don't think we really know the answer to that because it has seems to have some benefits and it has some pretty substantial risks and they're going to go ahead and give it full approval, but they it's kind of conditional where like the patients are supposed to be carefully monitored in various ways and stuff. Um, and so Medicare is going to start paying for it, um, I think is the big kind of um, the, the really significant result of that full approval. So our government, the U.S. government, is going to be spending tons and tons and tons and tons of money on this medication now. So do the benefits outweigh the risks? And is maybe that how we should be spending our money is kind of another question. So my big picture takeaway is this is insane. (laughs) Um, So basically the money, the $26,000 per year for each patient that's going to use this could be much better used on something much more effective. For example, if they were getting some kind of intensive lifestyle coaching to help improve their nutrition and other you know, health factors, if you spent $26,000 for each of them on that, then, uh, and that could include the Ketoflex 12.3 from Dr. Bredesen and it could include a few other things, right? If you spent the $26,000 on that, you'd get some results. Um, not only would that probably be able to have a bigger impact on Alzheimer's to do more than just slowing it by 27%, but perhaps completely prevent it from getting worse if they were able to adhere to Dr. Bredesen's program, for example, um, and in some cases maybe improve the disease. Um, so it probably have a bigger improvement in Alzheimer's, but not only that, but also reduce their risk of a bunch of other health problems. So if we're like myopically focused on just one health problem, in this case Alzheimer's, and you spend your $26,000 on that, on this medication, which I doubt lecanemab is going to be lowering your risk of heart attacks. I don't know, but there's not, I don't think there's any reason to think that it would. But if you improve your diet and you exercise and do all, and do all these other things that are part of Dr. Bredesen's program, then that is going to lower your risk of heart attacks. It is going to lower your risk of strokes. It is going to lower your risk of cancer. It is going to lower your risk of diabetes and all the complications that come from diabetes. So the, so the intensive lifestyle improvement would improve health across the board and prevent a host of other problems. Whereas this medication for the same cost is going to maybe slow down Alzheimer's, cause some significant side effects in some of the people, 
and probably not improve any of those other health conditions. So this kind of speaks to the insanity of how we spend money uh, in this country for like healthcare and so forth. Um, And it also speaks to the insanity of us as individuals, sometimes just wanting a Band-Aid, wanting some medication to fix everything when there's a condition that maybe could have just been prevented through lifestyle changes in many, many cases, depending on which ones we're talking about, like the high blood pressure and the type 2 diabetes and all the things that kind of come from that. And guess what? Type 2 diabetes is closely related to Alzheimer's, and that's why Alzheimer's has been nicknamed type 3 diabetes because it definitely has some connection with blood sugar and insulin resistance and that sort of stuff in a fair in a lot of cases um and then there's also the genetic component i'll just mention this real quick because if you hear me say like oh you know this is a lifestyle related disease alzheimer's you know if it's influenced by lifestyle what about those people who have the genetic predisposition the apoe4 gene especially if you have two copies of it that increases your risk well that's true but then it's all the more important to have the healthy lifestyle if that's the case. And by the way, people that have the double APOE4, or if they're homozygous, in other words, they're at a higher risk of these serious side effects from lecanemab, the bleeding and swelling and stuff. So they're the, they're the ones that need to be extra, extra careful about it, monitored more closely, et cetera, and possibly not use that medication at all. So, um, so lifestyle can often improve Alzheimer's. And what do I mean by lifestyle? Well, back in episode 22 of the podcast and the associated video and blog post, I explained Dr. Bredesen's program. So again, it has a lot to do with what you eat. Um, And they avoid grains and conventional dairy and sugar. And they eat a lot of nutrient-rich plants and healthy protein sources. And when you eat, they make sure they get at least 12 hours of fasting overnight and at least three hours before bedtime. And... Um, They also make sure they get into ketosis, which fasting helps with that, but also they will, you know, eat sort of low carb sometimes or take a ketone supplement. And that's kind of the cornerstone of his program is all that stuff, the Ketoflex 12.3. But they also do some medical testing and treat other, you know, issues that may be contributing to Alzheimer's as well, Um, like heavy, heavy metal toxicity, like mercury, for example, or some very specific infections um, that they that sometimes can help as well when they're treated. Um, so all that stuff can help a lot. And if you want to understand more details about that, check out the episode, the blog post, the video, and I'll put the links to those here at the end. Um, and the other thing that I would recommend is check out Dr. Bredesen's books if this is a topic you're really interested in. Uh, I'll put the links below. The End of Alzheimer's, The End of Alzheimer's Program, and The First Survivors of Alzheimer's. Those are kind of the three main books. You might have some other spinoffs or whatever, but uh, The First Survivors is um, kind of referencing the fact that we usually don't think people can get better from Alzheimer's, but he's got a bunch of stories about people that did in The First Survivors of Alzheimer's. All right, so if you're on on YouTube, I'll go ahead and put the video here where I talked about Dr. Bredesen's program, so you can easily click on that. If you're on the podcast, just look at it, look for it in the the episode description there. Um, And I'll put the links to all the other stuff below. So hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that gave some perspective. And I'll see you next time on the Fasting Well podcast and YouTube channel. The Fasting Well podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.